Welcome to the Adamantium Podcast, episode number 48. Welcome back, Adam Antimaniacs. I am your host, Adam R. Harrison, singing in your ears today on this brisk, frosty April 1st. But the good news is today I have got an excellent, very cool episode for you. I know I always say that, and it's always true, but today is especially true. We got a little piece of Canadian music history today on the Adamantium podcast. We're joined by Tom Stephen who was the drummer and manager for the Jeff Healy Band. Jeff Healy, if you don't know, is one of the all-time greatest Canadian musicians, one of the all-time greatest guitar players, period. He should be in the conversation, along with guys like Stevie Ray Vaughan, Eric Clapton, Santana. And the kicker about Jeff Healy was he was one of the greatest guitar players of all time, but he was also blind. Jeff Healy lost his uh, his eyes to cancer when he was a young boy. He also more unfortunately lost his life to cancer in 2008. Jeff had this extremely unique way of playing the guitar on his lap, but as you will hear in the interview, he also liked to get out of his chair. Jeff was quite the character, and so is Tom, uh, and he's got some amazing stories about his time uh, with the band. And, of course, the others that they they came across uh, on this adventurous career that they had. Tom has a hilarious story about meeting B.B. King. Uh, He's got great stories about Patrick Swayze. Of course, Jeff Healy Band being the band that was in the movie Roadhouse. And the reason this interview is so prevalent right now is because Tom released a book last year called Best Seat in the House, My Life in the Jeff Healy Band. And he told me the reason why he wrote it is because he doesn't want... Jeff Healy to be lost in that conversation when we do talk about the greatest guitarists of all time, the greatest musicians, because he really should be included in that conversation. I've tackled a good amount of the book myself. There's some amazing and hilarious stories in there. Definitely worth a read. And the great thing is this interview is actually a great compliment to the book. So if you've read the book already, it's still worth listening to the interview. If you listen to the interview, it's definitely worth, and you enjoyed it, definitely worth checking out the book. So best seats in the house, my life in the Jeff Healy Band. It's available on Amazon.com and .ca, as well as Indigo.ca, and I believe it's in Indigo stores as well. If maybe you're not familiar with Jeff Healy's library, a couple songs that I would recommend uh, you check out to experience Jeff's talents. Uh, and I mean, there's so many, but a couple that I'll pick out are uh, you got to check out Angel Eyes, you've got to check out See the Light, check out Confidence Man. Check out I Think I Love You Too Much, and also definitely check out their cover of While My Guitar Gently Weeps. But moreover, I'm going to keep this intro really, really short because the interviews, it's it's actually a pretty long interview because Tom has so many, so many awesome stories. But before we get into the interview, just a quick reminder that you can now listen to the Adamantium podcast pretty much on any network that you listen to your podcasts. We're on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Play Music, we're on Stitcher, we're everywhere. Uh, If you are listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, please do do us a favor and hit that subscribe button. If you can leave us a rating and a review, that is also super helpful in not only boosting the podcast to getting more listeners, but then also acquiring more interviews. And of course, it boosts my ego a little bit. (laughs) But you can also follow our adventure on social media. 
You can find the Adamantium Podcast on Facebook at the Adamantium Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at the Adamantium, and you can find us on Twitter at Adam R. Harrison. And I believe that's all I've got to say. So let's introduce you to Tom Steven and, of course, the absolute legend that is Jeff Healy right here on episode number 48 of the Adamantium Podcast. Peace, love, and rock and roll, everyone. We're here with Tom Steven from the Jeff Healy band, and uh, yeah, we've already started chatting. But um, <laughs> why don't why don't we before we get into the book, more about the book and, and Jeff Healy, why don't we introduce the listeners to yourself first? So why don't we tell us a little bit about how you started as a musician? Sure, uh, uh, um, and where you came from, and I, I, I'm from. I'm, I was born in Saint John, New Brunswick, mm-hmm. and predominantly raised in Nova Scotia. But um, I was always beating pots and pans and getting kicked out of class in school, and and because uh, I just from the time I was born I like to hit things. Having said that, um, I got my first kit kind of late, around when I was around thirteen, I guess twelve or thirteen, and um, you know I got to hang around with some musicians in, in junior high, and um, but I was more to roadie because in those days double bass drums were the big thing. So the, right. the local band kind of. The cool guys said, well, you can be in the band, man. We'll have two drummers. And after carrying drums around for a while, I realized that uh, I'm just a roadie, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, these guys set up two bass drums. And a girl said to me one day, how come you never play? And I'm like, yeah, how come I never play? And I went to the, Gordy, was the, was the band's leader. And I said, Gordy, man, you know, I've been at this with you guys a couple months. Mind you, we played, I don't know, in our whole esteemed career, maybe nine shows or whatever. Right, but, okay. But, uh, um, I said, uh, he said, well, Tom, these are very complicated, you know, tracks, and I'm talking, we could barely play three chords, right? So I said, well, fair enough, I'm taking my drums and going home, and finally I got to play. But the cool thing about getting to play was, um, I just loved it. I was addicted as soon as I got, it was mm-hmm. the first time I ever played in the States. Didn't know what I was doing, didn't have a clue. Uh, some people argue I still don't know what I'm doing, but, yeah. it, but I loved it, and it was fun. And uh, after that, it was just really playing in the grads. Mm-hmm. But I loved them enough that wherever I went, like when I went off to university or wherever I moved, I always dragged my drums along. But it was more put the headphones on and bang out to The Who or Led Zeppelin right. or, or whatever. Really loved the blues. And um, my sister bought me a Dutchie Mason record. Dutchie was probably the greatest Canadian blues guy um, in, in that time, you know, to the point that he was ready to like guys like B.B. King when they come to Canada would look them up in Nova Scotia mm-hmm. but that was kind of what I felt it was blues based rock and roll was what I was into and in those days everything was blues based it was the Stones was blues based Led mm-hmm. Zeppelin who to a certain degree I mean that whole English invasion and uh, that's kind of my roots um, now forward I don't know several years I'm 24 when, when did you leave New Brunswick? Well, I was just gonna say, well, I left New Brunswick actually when I was, uh, the first time when I was about 15. I went off to boarding school due, okay. to, due, to, uh, due to circumstances that uh, it was either that or maybe jail. So okay, was, yeah, okay. And I, was, uh, and I was lucky enough that my dad knew people in a sense that I you know, got a bit of a break. But there, um, 
uh, it was uh, called King's College, and uh, it's the oldest boarding school in the country. But it's also part of like militia, so mm -hmm. it's a black watch. You wear a kilt, the whole deal. So they had me at first, they got a gun and you're drilling up and down, and the reason I got in trouble was the guys around me had guns. Not me, but that's basically yeah. it. I'm like, fuck, oh, sorry. But, you know, yeah, you can yeah. say whatever you want. Oh, yeah, yeah. fuck, what am, <laughs> what am I doing here with a gun? Um, so I joined the band, thinking I could back off. Well, of course, Sergeant Major Finney was a real black watch guy, been in both wars, tough and old nut. Probably one of the best things that happened to me. And he'd have us on that field every morning at 6 o'clock, going up and down. But it made me have to learn how to play a drum. Yes, okay. And, albeit um, um, not really rock and roll. But because of that, I really realized, you know, I started to get some chops and, and was being taught how to do mm -hmm. things. And uh, I had my drums with me. They let me move them into this little room. Met a guy, a guy called Jetty Davis. That was my first time where we started jamming. Yeah. You know, I jammed a bit in St. John. So now we flash ahead. My old man loses his business in 82 to a bank that screwed him, basically. It was an okay. old family business in St. John, raw asphalt paving. Okay. Uh, I'm part Lebanese, and that was the first community business that the Lebanese had where they could employ other Lebanese. It's like the immigrant story and employ French, and all the people who couldn't get employed worked for my grandfather. Oh, okay. So yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. But the bank screws them in, like, 82. So now, basically, that was going to be what I was going into because everybody... You to go into the family business. Yeah, yeah, like, over year and year and year. So now I'm sitting there. I get... Uh, tell me if I go on too long here. No, no, no. Okay. Yeah, as, as much... Uh, I, I get lucky and I get into a master's program at York University for urban planning. Okay. <laughs> the guys that have screwed up the city. This, I, I, yeah, I, I know most of them, about. I was going to say. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah okay. I, I know a lot of these guys. I'd like to speak to some of them. I digress, but there was a day where every height you went up, you had to have green space. Mm -hmm. Not anymore. Uh, they threw those rules out because I've been... I've been no, know, now it's like remove a tiny building and put in a 60-story one. Well, that's it's what like, they do. They get the yeah. density allowance, yes. but they don't do the park stuff, and, right. uh, which is so wrong. Any, anyway, I'm doing this, and I meet a guy called Buzz Upshaw. Buzz was a, a garbage truck driver. Big, big, heavy set. He looked like B.B. King in the later days, but he had one foot shorter than the other. Heavy guy, fingers the size of trees, but man, could he play a guitar. Oh, yeah. And I was going around jam sessions. Uh, the first guy I, I got up and jammed uh, uh, was with Danny Marks, and he kicked me off the stage halfway through the song. He said, I asked for a drummer. You're not a drummer. Get the fuck off the stage. Really? And my cousin was in the room because we all played uh, uh, rugby and football on Saturdays. And they were all doctors, but they got I was like the ringer. They got me on their team. Yeah. And then after we played, we'd go to this place called uh, Hotel Isabella. And uh, when he threw me off the stage, my, my cousin, who's a doctor, was going to go up and knock him out. But everything calmed down. And, and But it made me realize... You know what? I don't know how to play drums. You know, I'm, I'm, I've been playing to a headset, Headsets, for, but, yeah, but yeah. I, I haven't got a clue how to interact and with real guys. Yeah. And so, Danny, if you're out there, I owe you because it, it got me off my butt. And yeah. I, I really started banging away and trying to figure out what I was doing. Then I meet Buzz. He goes, listen, you got some timing issues in this and that, but he said you hit him hard, and I like how you play. And I like the fact you don't know what you're doing because I can show you how to do the things the way I want to do, do it. Yeah, and that was my first band. Buzz got, gets a gig on uh, Chicago's uh, Queen Street, a little burger joint, and we play there every Thursday and Friday. 
And then all of a sudden this kid starts coming in. 17 year old, you know, tall, blonde haired, blue eyed kid. And uh, sits in a couple times. And it's Jeff. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's interesting because Jeff really was mobile. So I'm not cluing in what's going on. I, I thought he had some kind of issues or I wasn't quite sure. Anyway, around, I don't know, maybe after coming in a few weekends, one day he says, I'd, I'd like you to come down to the grocer's tavern and sit in. And I think Jeff's probably 17 then maybe, because mm -hmm. I'm 11, 11 years older than Jeff. And uh, we uh, jam, and he, I'd never seen him do this. Because he, he always sat sitting down with the guitar on, on his lap. Yeah. Uh, not, not pedal still, obviously. You know, he played guitar yep. style, but he has no strap. And all of a sudden, he leaps out of the chair at Grossman's, and he's knocking drinks over and people over and chairs over, and he's just playing his ass off. I'm like, what the fuck? I've never seen anything like this. Before. Yeah. And he comes back, he sits down, he goes, well, ladies and gentlemen, good night, don't drink and drive. I know I don't. And the show gets up. In those days, you walk behind the, the, the little teeny stage. It wasn't even a stage. And I'm like, that is probably the craziest thing I've ever seen, but the wildest playing I've ever heard in my life. It was, I was blown away. I go backstage, we sit down, and he's kind of curling his hair when he's thinking that's what he would do. He'd kind of be concentrating like an idiot. I go over and he goes, look, he goes, I really like how you play. And he goes, I want to start a band. And uh, I'm looking, I'm going, what do you mean? You don't have a band? I've, I've yeah. never seen anything like this. What are you talking about? Like, how come you're not like, I don't know, in Hollywood or right. someplace? And uh, he goes, well, no one will sign me. And I go, well, you know, Jeff, part of the problem might be because of your drinking, man. Like, you can't, you know, be doing that. He goes, what do you mean drinking? Well, you're knocking shit over and this and that. And he's like, I'm blind. <laughs> and I knew he had a visual impairment, yeah. but I didn't realize. Yeah, because he, he had the prosthetics, yeah, right? I, so, yeah, I don't have a clue. So, you know, put my foot in it big time. Right, yeah. He actually chuckled. And then we sat down and we had a chat. And he said, uh, he said, look, I just finished a master's in urban planning. And I can't, you know, go join a band and play in Grossman's the rest of my life. That's, yeah. that's not in the game plan. But you know what? I know nothing about anything, but you're fucking great, and you should have a record deal. Yeah. And he explains to me, I uh, had a guy called Corey at the time who was sweetheart of a guy, really loved playing with Jeff, or working with Jeff, but couldn't get him a deal. Mm -hmm. And what the issue was is the labels are telling him it's a gimmicky or, uh, you know, they didn't really want to be associated with a blind guy because it would be like taking advantage of it and just all these lame excuses. And, and meanwhile, I'm thinking, I didn't even know the guy was blind. All I know is he plays great. And if you're on the radio, you're hearing music, you don't know, you know, you're not going, oh, the guy's blind, so I'm going to like him or hate him or dislike yeah. him. I mean, talent's talent. So I really thought it was kind of... Uh, not racist. What's the proper word when you're when he was being discriminated? Yeah, yeah, he was being discriminated against for being for right, having yeah. a disability, and that pissed me off. And a maritimer fighter, you know, we're, yeah. we were kind of scrappy, yeah. and I'm like, fuck this, that's bullshit. So I'll tell you what, then we'll form our own company, and I'll, I'll join the band. But if you can't get a manager and you can't get you know, an agent, we'll do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. He goes, well, what do you know about the business? I said, absolutely nothing. But I know you're fucking great. I'm yeah. a fan of music, and I've never heard anyone play as great as you. And we'll give it a crack for a year or two and see, you know, where, where it takes us. So he's like, yeah. Then we go through a couple bass players. 
the one bass player, tell me again if I'm talking way too long, but the one bass player. That's the point. <laughs> with, when I knew, this, uh, what was, I think the bass guy's name was Terry. One of the great bass players, even to this day, I ever had an opportunity to play with. But a real stone old guy. Okay. And he, um, somewhere along the line, we run into him and we've seen him play and it's agreed, okay, we're going to go and do these couple gigs with him. He's never played or seen Jeff. And he would smoke a big doobie before we go on stage. And the second song, Jeff jumps up and starts leaping around. And the look on Terry's face, <laughs> I'll never forget. I, I, I looked at him and I could see him thinking, what the fuck am I smoking? Yeah. Because it just it blew him away. I thought but, he was having a bad trip. Oh, he, like, he was like, man, and he's looking at me, missed a bunch of notes. And he was, and he was like, just fucked up. But the problem is, we went through a bunch of bass players in that. They didn't really... They could be great on stage, but we had a goal, so you need a team that's going to show up in mm -hmm. time, and you know, yeah. like like I don't want to say we were regimented, but it's like what we have it, we have a mission, and we're going for it. I run into Joe Rockman probably a couple months later, and we jam at Grossman's again. Come off stage, and that's the band formed that night mm -hmm. at Grossman's Tavern, and uh, and we started our mission. Did you ever feel? Nervous playing for for Jeff, you know, especially you know, you told the story of of the guy who was a garbage truck driver who told you you couldn't play, and now all of a sudden you're playing for one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Well, I, I, actually, did he ever bust I, your chops for? I, I, actually, Danny Marks is the guy who told me I couldn't play. Oh, sorry. Uh, okay, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Buzz was the garbage truck driver. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to digress to Buzz for a second. I, I learned two things with Buzz. Firstly, I, I started kind of managing that band because only because. No one else was taking care of business, so it kind of fell on me. Yeah. I grew up in a construction company, so I wasn't scared to you know, get my hands dirty and go figure out mm -hmm. how to do things. But at the same time, the reason Buzz was a guy, we never recorded anything. Mm -hmm. you know, like, and I used to bug him all the time, man. Like, he played great. And he goes, ah, you know, I drive my garbage truck, I'm going to get my pension. And then the poor guy dies. Never lived to see his pension. Mm -hmm. And it taught me something, which was, man, if you're going to go after your dream, go after your dream. Yeah. You know, like, there's no net. There's no, no safety no. net. Well, there is in Canada, thank God, we have at least health care. Yes. You know, right. in the States, where I spend a lot of time now, they don't have any of that. But but it taught me to the point of coming... Sorry, I lost my point here, but coming back... Uh, what was the question? Sorry, I just... I, I, it's, no, I just yeah. asked if you ever felt oh, nervous that, yeah. playing for Jeff because, yeah. you know, yeah. someone... Had, yes. People had already told you, oh, you don't know what you're doing, and now all of a sudden you're paying for one of the greatest guitarists of all time. Well, here's what happens. Yeah. The, to this day, there's still bad feelings. I mean, you know, I was a bad guy because, firstly, I'm this aggressive, mouthy little maritime guy, <laughs> so I'm pissing everyone off because I don't know the rules. Right. And I don't care about the rules because the way I'm looking at it is if this guy's not signed, there's no one around here going to tell me how to do things mm -hmm. because they clearly... I mean, Jeff had been on CBC his whole life as a kid. He'd been at CBC Radio. He'd been on CBC Television. It wasn't like he's a well-kept secret. Yeah. I mean, you know, and now he's kicking around... The Toronto scene since he's like 16, 17, starts a band Blue Direction with uh, Rob Quill and some guys, and they were a really good band. I, I got to hear some tape in that, but again, just no one catching on. So I start getting a lot of negative feedback because uh, the guy can't play drums, he's never really been in a band. But the whole idea of our band was, and, and why the three of us worked, Joe really as a bassist became the timekeeper. Okay. And I was really the guy kind of like, he like, that kind of who style, just crazy. Jeff, just like yeah. that, out, out of your mind, going for it. 
and we never rehearsed. So the whole thing was was free form jam. Right. And it was free form all the time. Like when we first started going in studios, producers hated us because we never rehearsed. Just, right. You just walk in and nail it and do a couple of takes, and you have to go. That's it. And good luck putting Tom drummer drums together. And because I knew in the band, knew I was the weak link in the band. So there's no big secret there. But live, it worked, and that's. Right. It was great. In the studio, it became problematic because drummers really matter in the studio, and I had no concept of mm-hmm. being in a studio or this or that. But what starts happening is Jeff would play with other guys, but then he'd gravitate back to myself and Joe because we had a sense of where he was going. Right, okay. Before he knew where he was going, but I was there when he was there. I knew where it was going. And the game with Jeff was always to fuck us up, lose us. Yeah. You know, he would just. I, w- I was going to say, yeah. did he ever throw you off by just. All the time he fucked you. never knew when he was going to finish a solo. Yeah, or, he just know. fuck with you all the time. Yeah. And, 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 and that's what was great. It was exciting every time because every yeah. show was different. We never, to this day, I Was that not nerve wracking though? Like trying to, you know, I don't want to screw it, up this it, song. It, but. it wasn't in clubs, but now you get a record deal. Right. And every, it's a whole new ball game. Of course. And now you're under the microscope and it's nerve wracking all the time. And to be candid, the fun stops. Mm-hmm. Um, um, Back to the guys who who, who were, were were not really big fans of mine. The, the, my answer to them is: I got to play in a few million records, yeah. toured the world, met my heroes, played with Jeff, had a blast. So you know what, guys? I'm real sorry, but life's like that sometimes. Yeah. You get a break, yeah. and the three of us worked hard to get that break. So fuck it, yeah. get, get over it. You know, read the book, make your make up your own sure. mind. Right. But um um. Man, I'm a little cocky in the morning. I was out too late tonight, but no, uh, last night. But I love it. I, 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 I think with with the guy like Jeff, and, and it's really important. People should understand this. Is we didn't go out there and be cocky. It was necessity. No one wanted to manage us. No one wanted to be our agent. No one wanted to sign us. And have we not kind of taken that position? You know, Jeff Jeff told me at one point, if it didn't work out, um, he was going to go and be either an engineer or a radio no, DJ. That, I mean, wow. he, he yeah. literally was thinking of that. And imagine Jeff Healy never playing. Never, yeah. I mean, that would have been a travesty. And, yeah. And so that, that was the mission. As a bar man, all of a sudden, we started taking off. We started getting gigs here in the city. Couldn't get a lick of press. No one cared. Jeff, by that point, jammed with Stevie Ray Vaughan, who was blown away. You know, Albert Collins, blown away. Albert King, blown away. And yet, I couldn't get him arrested. Finally, we build up enough of a press. And and do you think this was because of the handicap? Or just being Canadian? Or, you know... I, I I think back, and I'm a proud Canadian. I mean, yeah. I, I spend a lot of time in the states these days, but I'm Canadian through and through. Yeah. And and as a band was, all three of us are proud of being Canadian. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you came and saw our shows, our gear was whenever it was Canadian gear. I had Canadian drums. Whenever we could, you know, Canadian flags. When we're traveling, we're Canadian. To this day, Americans still think that we're American. It's it's really funny. Yeah. But but we're we're you know we're proud Canadians. But the downside of being Canadian, from what I could see back then, was I don't know if there's a provincial attitude in our country that that it always seems that once the Americans go, it's great, then it's great. But the Beatles could be sitting here in your backyard, and I have a feeling they would have had to go to the mm-hmm. states. It's just right. I, I there's something I don't know. I can't what it explain is either, it either. I, I just can't put my. And, and I talked to a lot of the young artists in Canada today, and they're still fighting that fight. 
And what surprises me, because <coughs> in my day, we didn't have a lot of management or a lot of agents or, or whatever. But yet, the guys we work with, uh, Steve Herman, now is, and uh, Mike Rapino, run Live Nation yep. worldwide. Um, 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 you know, there's guys like Bruce Allen, that, you know, around in those days, the greatest managers mm -hmm. in the world. But they had their plate fold, and no one was looking at us. Our break comes, we meet a guy called Tom Lavin from Powder Blues Band. Mm -hmm. Again, though, transplanted Americans. Right. Li lived in Vancouver, but from Chicago originally. They see us in Toronto, and they're like, why don't you guys come out to Vancouver and record? And that was our first record that we did, mm -hmm. See the Light in uh, a song called yeah. Adriana, uh, which Adriana's a great song too, but, you know, the, the, good, the good news is it was a great recording. And because my plan at that point, with the, along with the band, was guys, we're our own record label. We don't have a record, so we yeah. better, let's, let's, these guys are willing to do this. Let's go to Vancouver, hustled up some gigs at the Yale, went out and made that record. Um, it was hard, again, not, not being a studio uh, guy, but it, it was also a lot of fun. And to this day, that, that rendition of See the Light is still my favorite by far, even after we got the big record deal and whatnot. But what, what, what that taught me was when, when we did the single, come back to Toronto, meet a guy called Alan Resnick uh, from one of the colleges here. It might have been, what's the, Ryerson. And uh, Alan says, you know, if we can get together 500 bucks, I'll shoot you a video. And by then, I met the guys at the Diamond Club, a guy called Randy Charlton, who was nice enough to say, yeah, you can use the Diamond and shoot the video there. We shoot this video. Now, the joke of the video is it's, it's, it's an outstanding video to this day. It's in black and white, and Jeff's just kicking ass. The sad part of the video is what one guy once commented, comment, he goes, I think all three of you guys are blind because what we're wearing in anatomy, we look like a bunch of idiots, right? <laughs> but, but, you know, Jeff's pants are up to his Can you still steps. find this video anywhere? Or? I have no idea. Really? I haven't, I okay. haven't, I, haven't uh, I, I don't know if it's online, but I, I do, I just found a copy for a documentary idea I'm working on. Um, so I know it's out there somewhere because some guys in the States found it. But we make that video, we release the single, we release the video, now we're getting some action. Then the Toronto Star comes down and they do a whole front page on the band. Mm -hmm. Boom. Finally, we're moving. Now we're crisscrossing the country and our game plan then is save as much money as we can. The fuck you money. Like, yeah. Let's get yeah. it. Let's get an account together. And uh, in the book, Steve Herman tells a great story, which I had forgot about. He goes, you know, those guys were hustling all the time. And, and we were at a Coca conference. He's telling the story. Coca in those days was the... They booked all the universities and colleges. Yeah. We couldn't get an agent. So we formed our agency company, and we get ourselves a booth, and we make out we're agents, and we go to this conference, and really all we did is we plugged Jeff the amplifier in, and he wailed for like a minute or two till they shut us down. This is Steve telling the story. He goes, and he goes, you know, they might have got shut down. He goes, but two minutes later, like 30 guys were lined up, and they had gigs for the... You know, yeah. rest, rest. And that's how our hustle was. Mm -hmm. Now we're the, probably one of the hottest um, bands in the country in terms of club draw. Still can't get arrested with a label. Mm -hmm. Now we have some money in the bank, and that's when it's like, you know what, fuck this. Jeff, I'm going to go to New York, and if you guys will trust me and give it a crack, and, you know, and that's what happened. You know? So you go to New York, and then <laughs> what, where, do you, where do you go? Like, where did you... We're so green that the best I could come up with in my head 
was I'm going to go find Paul Schaefer. Okay. Because he's Canadian. Yeah. And he'll get this and we have this video. In those days, you don't have the internet. So I'm carrying around of course. You know, VHSs. And what we did, we took all our press and made it look like a newspaper that folded up. And it yep. has, by that point, we have, uh, uh, oh, I've skipped a big part. Um, before that happens, in 86, we go out to Expo. Not to be an expo because we couldn't get a gig, but we got a gig in, in, in a, a hotel around expo. So yeah. the idea being I want it to be where the action is and hopefully, you know. We get out there, I'll never forget this. And by then we, we've saved enough money that we caught on to the idea. We fly to where we're going and then have the, the, the house or the club has to provide the gear. So we're yeah. saving a pile of money, you don't have to drive. So in those days, flights were cheap, so you could sort of fly out there. But we're still a limited bank account. We walk in the club, I'll never forget this construction going on. I'm like, man, where's the club at? Go up to the desk, it's a, it's a hotel club. And the guy goes, uh, I go, where did Jeff Healy be out? Yeah. What do you mean, yeah, we're, we're here to play, so we're checking in. Oh, no, we, the, the club's closed. We're, we're, we've gone to Country Western. Huh? <laughs> Which, by the way, Jeff could easily play country. Yeah, right. He can play everything, but there's no club to play anything. So the guy sees, I'm like, I said, man, we just came from Halifax. Yeah. Like, like for this gig, what are you talking about? He goes, the best I can do is put you guys in the boardroom. And that's where we end up in this boardroom. And if you think Jeff can't see, trust me, they were drilling, just, they were looking at me like, you really yeah. fucked this up. So I find the agent, he's ducking me. And literally, we're on the street, and I got him up against the wall, and we're going at it. And he goes, look, just calm down. We'll figure something out. And I'm like, sure you will. No cell phones. So you got to right. find people, gotta, right? Yeah. It's not like you can phone the guy up, and they just duck him forever. Yeah. To his credit, he, he phones the hotel the next day, says, great news. This American band coming up to Expo got in a big car accident. They can't play. And I'm like, great news. That's horrible. Yeah. And he, But he's just going on. Agents being agents. He goes, I got you slotted Expo. You're going to get a paycheck. And I'm going, there's a buck, right? He goes, yeah, it's a lunch It's a lunch slot. Okay. We're broke. We have yeah, no way to go yeah. anywhere. We'll take it. Yeah. You know, we're in. We do this lunch slot. And as Jeff said, to ankle biters and, and uh, gray heads, because everyone's yelling, turn it down, <laughs> while they're eating their, you know, $25 hamburgers yeah, and yeah. french fries. And, and of course, Jeff was a contrarian. If you told him to turn it down, turn it up. right up to 12, man, yeah. like, you know, that was it. And we'd all just blast it out. We hated the gig, but then we find out B.B. King's playing on, on that weekend yeah. on, the, on the main stage. So I'm like, this is, this is great. Yeah. We're going to go meet B.B. King. The problem is our passes are day passes. But by then now, we're staying at the Yale, so the cheap rooms, we got a place to stay, we're making a paycheck. I hire a limousine, and I put Jeff in the back, and I go, Jeff, we're going to go get in and see BB. We get to the gate, and the guy's going, well, you can't go in with these passes. They're day passes. I go, man, Mr. King's going to be really upset when he finds out that you know his blind friend came all the way here, and you guys turn around at the gate, and the guy's like, Stevie Wonder, and I, I don't say anything. And he opens the gate and lets us in. Follows the car, we pull up behind the uh, backstage, and this tall blonde dude gets out. The guy's looking at me like, that's not Steve right? And I'm, I'm like, I never said it was. Yeah. <laughs> and in we go. We get inside the dressing room, Jeff sits down, he opens the, the case, and the cool thing is, because of the way he plays, <clears throat> he just starts ripping. Yeah. You know? So now a door opens, and the band guys are looking at watching Jeff play, and then the door closes. Then this guy, Bebop, comes walking by, who I had met years earlier. Uh, he was always um, Mr. King's tour manager. 
And my cousin had brought B.B. King when I was a kid into Halifax. First time he'd ever been in yeah. Halifax. And Mr. King misses the first show. He gets stuck in a snowstorm. One of, I think, two shows he missed in his whole career. On top of that, the, when I went to pick him up in, in the limousine, that breaks down. And I'm driving B.B. King around in a 77 Trans Am. So this has got to be a good five or six years before. Finally, we're brought into Mr. King's dressing room. And have a seat, boys. So we sit down, and we have, we have the picture. It's actually in the book. And Mr. King's bend over, and he goes, "Jeff, play me some." And Jeff just lays down this lick, and Mr. King goes from there to here. He goes, "My, my, my!" He goes, "I've never seen anything like that." And he's looking at me, kind of weird. And I'm thinking, "Nah, I can't be." He goes, "You're that guy." I go, what guy is that? He goes, you had that little sports car thing. And, uh, you kept playing George Benson. I mean, the guy's... Wow. I'm like, oh, no. He goes, do you know that your cousin's the first guy that ever sued me? <laughs> and I went, oh, man. Oh, my God. We finally get here, and now the whole thing's out the window. Yeah. And to his credit, he brings Jeff on stage that night. That was a game changer. Yeah. Finally, people started... Correct, yeah. Yeah. So now I digress back... Or, Going back to now, let's go to New York because we have BB King's picture with Jeff with on the Jeff front. On, yeah, we have Stevie Ray on the front. Stevie Ray saying Jeff's going to revolutionize the way the guitar could be played. Yeah, BB King saying uh, you fellas have a guy called Jeff Healy and there's nothing like him. I've never seen anything like him. Two big quotes: newspaper, VHS, get to New York, get to NBC, sneak in the place. Get up on a couple floors and immediately get nailed by the security. security yeah. yeah, like you're going out the door. Run into the drummer, Anton Fig, and he kind of says, um, more or less, did you kill anyone? <laughs> like, yeah. No. Well, what do you got? I said, well, this guy, Jeff Healy, and I'm here to see Paul. What, do you know Paul? Well, no, but he's Canadian, and this guy's the most amazing guitar player. So and the guy's kind of looking at me like, like oh, uh, here we boy. go. Yeah. He goes, you know what? Play it. 30 seconds in, he goes, is this for real? I go, oh, fuck yeah, that's that's who he is. He goes, okay, go down tonight. I can't think of the club right now. If you can get in, there's going to be a bunch of A&R people there. And I'm looking at him, and he can see him still. I'm like, and he goes, you don't know an A&R guy? I said, no. <laughs> he goes, those are the guys, artists from repertoire from the labels, yeah. and they're all going to be sitting there. And uh, if you can get the package in, into their hands, they'll have a look at it. He goes, but if you can get in, I'll introduce you to a couple of people. That's the best I can kind of do. I don't think he's thinking he's ever seen me again for the rest of his life. Right. I find the club, and I have a couple grand because we'd save some money. So buy my way in the front door. The co-check girl has this list sitting there, and I'm looking at it. And I go, I'll give you 50 bucks for a copy of that list because I'm thinking phone numbers, right? Right. Because yeah. in those days, it's all on paper. And we get it. And when we're li- now, the, the story gets a little convoluted because I had it wrong. I thought I'd run into a guy called Mitchell Cohen. And what it is is I put it in the hands. I think it ends up being the radio guy for Arista Records. Another guy, Howard Tom- Thomas or Thompson for Epic, he takes the package. Third guy basically threatens to arrest me. And so... I gave her about three packages. I met a girl, so I'm sleeping on her couch, so I'm giving out her phone number. And then I go lay on the couch and nothing. And the boys, I phone on them, and they're like, you're just out there partying. And I go, no, I'm really trying, boys, but it's yeah. hard. But phone call. Mr. Cohen says, uh, 
I think I'd flown back up to Canada now, and he finally phones and says, um, I'm Mitch Cohen, I'm the A&R guy for Clive Davis, Arista Records. I don't know who Clive Davis is. Yeah. And uh, he said, I'd like to come up and see you guys. I went, great. When? He said, how about, you know, how quick can you set something up? By then, we can go to Grossman's anytime. Right, they love right. this and phone him up, set up a gig. Couldn't be a couple hours later, this guy, Howard, from Epic Quotes. Hey, I want to come up and see you guys. Great. What I don't realize is they both, I fucked it up. That we, They're both in the same show, all right? And Mitchell basically goes, bring Jeff down and meet Mr. K- uh, Mr. King. And Howard said, come over to Epic. And I'm like, oh, man. So it's like, well, fuck, we'll go. we'll go to both places. As it turns out, there's a couple phone calls. And Mitchell felt great. And it's almost like we'd already kind of decided because by then... I fought a guy called Tony Tobias, who's been in the business. Uh, his brother, Ken Tobias, had one of the first big hits as a Maritimer. And then uh, he wrote a song called Stay A While for the Bells, which was a huge song like worldwide. So Tony had been in the business. Yeah. So Tom, think of Clive Davis as the Beatles record executives. Like, oh, okay. And that's what happens. We fly down. On a weekend, so that might have been the label's mistake, because we hit the China Club and party our ass off and play, and everyone's blown away. It's a 9 or 9.30 meeting on a Monday. We go in. Uh, Jeff's half asleep. Mr. Davis, we meet him, and he has a lot of stories, Mr. Davis. You think I could talk? And we're kind of dozing off. We've been up, you know. Yeah, we, yeah. We just went home, showered, and went to the label. And they'd heard about it. Like, they'd heard, we'd, you know, we'd Jeff been out ripping yeah. up the town, and so they'd already made up their mind. And they signed us. And uh, twenty, what's that? Overnight success. So right. that, that was four and a half, five years in, and then everything goes crazy after that. Yeah, you know. So did you ever have like you're managing? Like, did you ever have trouble from you're managing this band, but you're also out all night with them? You know, partying your ass off, and now you've got to be the responsible one the next day because you're managing the band. You know. <laughs> I mean, hindsight being twenty twenty, of course, I screwed a lot of things up, man. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and the the compliment for the book that that's most moved me is two two folks who are close to Jeff and really don't don't like me at all reached out to me after they read the book. Yeah, and uh, I I spoke to both of them, and I I won't say their name because it, it it'll cause issues, but um, they told me straight up, you wrote a great book. You nailed what Jeff and who he was as a man, as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, as much as they know about the band, they thought I was honest, and, 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 it, and, and that meant a lot. Uh, I, I, I lost the question again. No, you're no the question was, was, there, you know, was there ever any yeah. kind of conflict between being right. the manager and yeah. also, you don't want to be the, the stiff in the band yeah. who's not you know, participating. What, but What I learned from them... Because me and Jeff, toward the end, I mean, it w- wasn't a great ending in some ways. We made our peace in a couple calls, but it was a rocky road. And, okay. And, and, it, and the animosity is still there. It's in the book, so there's no secret. Uh, the estate's no, no, no fan, per se, which is sad, it, you know, but it's, it is what it is. But the, the, the thing is, now you're into the sex, drugs, rock and roll side of it. Right. You know, we'd already been there from the clubs and that. But that's a different kind of business. You book a club, you show up, you party, you yeah. play, you have a great time. And to this day, I, I never understood, and I don't want to get in trouble with me too, but it, it was like you have to pinch yourself. Because I spent all my life going to university to, you know, 
be somebody and do right. something. Now these two little pieces of wood and hanging out with Jeff and Joe and man, like guys are giving us their girlfriends or yeah. do you want cocaine or I've never even did cocaine. Would you like to drink everything you can? And meanwhile, you're getting paid for this. And right. you're going, really? Like this yeah. is a pretty cool thing. But we were deeper than that. The goal was to have records out. And yeah. the goal was world domination, straight up. Right. You know, in my book and in, 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 in Jeff and Joe's book, because they bought into that. But what you find out now when I've talked to these guys since the book came out is you think we're all on the same page. We weren't. There's a mm-hmm. point where Jeff reaches where he's basically saying, look, it's called the Jeff Healy Band, but it's mm-hmm. Tom and Joe who are really digging the rock and roll lifestyle. Okay. And, you know, and he's at this point kind of sick of the whole thing. And, and it didn't mean shit to him, right. quite candidly, toward the end. And that's a regret when I look back. So mm-hmm. now to answer your question, sure, though we managed ourselves, a lot of times the problems in the band could be me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'd be the guy out, you know, maybe a little too late. But then the very next day, I'd have to be giving them hell. That's as I say, they ever feel it, hypocritical? It, it, or of course, they, yeah. you're a total hypocrite because... Yeah. And also, it's a three-man band, so there's a, there's never a quorum. There's always going to be one guy out feeling, on the inside. Yeah. Yeah. So now it worked great. I mean, for years we we if you look at band average length of time is three to five years, mm-hmm. and we did fifteen to sixteen. Right. Years. So when I hear you know all the there was acrimony and there was this and there was that. Again, not knowing that Jeff was having some of these feelings and looking back at it, I would have did things a hell of a lot different. Well, yeah, I mean, you know? always hindsight twenty twenty, you know. Yeah, but but back to a recent uh, headline, which basically said I threw Jeff under the bus. My answer to that is, and, and by the way, uh, I shouldn't even comment it because as a manager later, when we managed Amanda Marshall and other artists, yeah, when they got a bad review, my comment to them was, Leave it, roll man. with it, man. Just yeah. go on to the next thing and get on with it. This review got under my crawl a little bit, but at the same time, I'm kind of like, okay, but what bus did I throw him under? Is that mm. the bus that drove us to millions of record sales and a couple Grammy nominations right. and a June or two and discovering Amanda Marshall, the biggest selling artist in the history of Canada? Um, we did a lot. And I, in my mind, have made my peace. I didn't do anything wrong. Mm-hmm. If I did anything wrong as a, as a hustling, arrogant pain in the ass, I was the band's hustling, arrogant mm-hmm. pain in the ass, and that was my gig. And the reality is, if I wasn't that, I don't know if there would have been a Jeff Healy band. Mm-hmm. And, and Jeff might well be, as he said, you know, in his own interviews, maybe I'm going to go be a, if this thing doesn't work out, you know, I'll work at radio yeah. or I'll do this or that. So... Yeah, there's hypocrisy, there's screw-ups, there's, you know, and toward the end, that kind of becomes the issue because Jeff's wanting to be a jazz guy okay. and play trumpet in a jazz band. I think he's had enough of me, can't can yeah. leak, because I, I think in many ways I'm kind of like a father figure. Don't get me wrong, not like leave it to Beaver. I mean, right, right, right. You know, I'm the guy kind of, we got to do this, we got to do that. Mm-hmm. And what I'm not seeing is Jeff's just getting more tired and more fed up, mm-hmm. and he's mad at me, and he's you know doesn't like the band, but at the same time he doesn't really like conflict. So what I realize in talking to some of his friends now, I think the band in many ways was over what was still going. Yeah, and I just it, it, we were Walking Dead in a sense. Yeah, and and that that makes me sad not knowing that. Um, hopefully, I'll get that right in the documentary. And, and yeah, now that that I've learned. You're pretty- 
doing these interviews, I've heard so many great stories of like DJs from radio in the States and around the world who were told me things I didn't even know, which I read my book now and I go, man, I, I, this book sucks compared to some of these stories these guys told me that I missed. But the idea of writing the book was I felt that a, you get tired of getting the shit kicked out of you, part of my language, right. but yeah. I, I'm the bad guy. And I put up with it for a bunch of years. Um, you know, I won't say there weren't were, were some interactions, but me and Jeff did our business and, and we moved on. Uh, Jeff was the kind of guy who could be, you know, hard on you, man. Like he mm-hmm. could rip me one day and then the next day he'd be ripping Joe. Yeah. Because he was quick and he was fast. And if you weren't quick and fast, you were dead. Yeah. You know, it's just, you're sitting duck. And, uh, and, to this day, I think we'd be talking. We might even be back on the road. You know, a lot of people are going to go, that guy's full of shit. You know, Jeff would rather shoot him than hang out with him. I don't buy that because we had those kind of fights in the first two weeks. Right. <laughs> you know, so so that's kind of, and is that wishful thinking? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Who knows? We'll never know now. But what can be known now and what bothers me about this whole thing is I'm the bad guy. Meanwhile, other people are kind of in charge of his legacy. Mm-hmm. And candidly, people are starting to forget who Jeff is. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, maybe part of it is, you know, this this sort of ongoing whatever it is between me and the estate. Um, but they've had free reigns to do pretty much what they want. And Jeff's getting lost the time. Mm-hmm. And where that was driven home, I was at a private party last summer in Halifax. And surprise player, there is a guy called Tom Cochran. Pound for pound, one of the greatest rock and rollers Mm -hmm. to come out of Canada. Tom gave us our first break. Our first national tour was with Tom Cochran. Later, Amanda Marshall, when we're managing her, he gives her her first national tour. So Tom Cochran, to me, is, you know, I bow down to Tom. He gave us two big breaks. But over and above that, he's written some of the greatest rock and roll songs in in the history of the country. And his band's incredible. and, And nothing but respect. And Tom, in the middle of this private show, might be 100 people in the room, has no idea I'm in the room, and starts talking about Jeff Ely. Hmm. And the boys, and, and he tells a couple of Jeff stories. And he ends up by saying, Why the hell isn't Jeff Healy in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Now, at that point, I just finished up the book, and I can't make up my mind. We just found a publisher, and I'm, I'm getting cold feet. I'm thinking, Maybe I should put the book out. Maybe let Sleeping Dogs Lie. And, but when he said that, it really kind of drove home a point. Right. And when he's coming off the stage, he sees me, big hug, Tom, what's going on? I'm, I'm going to reception. He grabs me, he drags me back into the dressing room. Uh, my buddy who brought him down, we ended up at his place for the reception, and we talked, you know, an hour. And just great stuff. Mm-hmm. And by the end of it, he's like, you got to put the book up. And that was it. I was like, okay, I'm doing it. So, so it was Tom Crocker and who? I, I think so. Was the, I, the pushing point? Uh, yeah, I was chickening out, to be very yeah, candid. I, really? Yeah. Okay. I, I, I had written it. I co-wrote it with, uh, with uh, uh, Keith Elliott uh, Greenberg. Uh, he's a uh, journalist, uh, producer for NBC, mm-hmm. and yet again, had to go to find an American to do this with mm-hmm. because there was no one in Canada that wanted to do it. Uh, tried to talk to some TV stations and whatnot. Didn't want to do it. Well, why not? Uh, you know, it's there was negatives associated with the project, and uh, fair enough. You know, you, you sort of get past that. But I wasn't prepared to let history be rewritten. A. I got it as close to honest as I think I could. Right. B, but if nothing else, 
it's bringing Jeff back into the conversation okay. and, and making sure that, that, that he's not forgotten. And why the hell is he in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame? Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, if anyone's out there, my opposition, I'd love to sit down and talk and let's work it together and figure right. it out. And if we can't, well, I'll just keep banging away at it till it gets till where it's it going. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's. So is that the reason? One of my questions was, yeah. what made you decide to write the book when you did? And it was that you kept kind of feeling that Jeff needs to be, that he's maybe losing to himself to history or? Uh, I'd be in LA and you get in these conversations, the guitar, con- who's the great guitar who's the great, player. Right. And a couple years ago, Jeff's name was always in the conversation. Yeah. But as time went on, less and less. Mm-hmm. The movie Roadhouse, which we can get into later, but, yes, but, but um, that's playing all the time in America. It's yeah. on the station somewhere every couple of weeks. So... You'd almost have to go, well, he's the guy in the movie Roadhouse. Oh, that right. guy. That's how... And, and don't get me wrong, thank God we're in the movie. Yeah. You know, like, uh, at a lot of levels. But it's kind of like, well, okay, that's not good. Yeah. And, and, and I, I don't want to be a hypocrite either. I, I think my ego was evolved too. I mean, you know, me and Jeff found it the band. And so I'm not going to sit here and bullshit and say I don't have a stake in this. Because I do. Because at the same time... I'm the villain in, in the piece. Yeah. And I have family and nephews and whatnot. And all of a sudden, I'm like, you know, and I have my own bad news medically. And I'm kind of like, I'm not taking this crap anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to get, you know, my side of the story out. And those who like it, great. And if they don't, fine. What I've been getting back, and again, the, the best review for me was hearing from Jeff's friends. Yeah. You know, that, that meant the most to me. Don't get me wrong, having this interview with you and what I've been doing today. No, but of course, for the people who are closest to Jeff. That, that, that's what really made me feel good about at least we're getting going. Mm-hmm. It also made me realize I missed a lot of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I have some sadness and some anger in me that's like, man, how did I miss that? Mm-hmm. Like, how did I miss Jeff? was sick and tired of a lot of things and that kind of thing. Um, it's rock and roll. Yeah. You know, it's 24-7. It's, you know. Now, back to the management thing. And back to that review. My answer to all those people is once we take off, now we can get any manager or any agent we want. Mm-hmm. Okay, and as it turned out, we got great agents. We got Rob Light at CAA in America, Steve Herman, who, as we mentioned earlier, fellow Canadian, uh, runs runs uh, uh, Live Nation in LA with uh, Mike Rapino, uh, Ralph James. I mean, we, never any shortage of, of that. But when it came to management, we'd have the discussion. And it, it, it was twofold. On one side, yeah, it'd be great to get a professional manager. A guy called Jimmy Ivey, who founded Interscope Records, who mm-hmm. is legendary, makes our first record for the movie. And along the line, in the book, a guy called Chuck Reed, who became our roadie when we were in L.A., but he's from a very storied Los Angeles family. His granddad was the voice for like the Flintstones and this and that. So... First time we went to his house in Malibu, there's all these plaques. This is how we didn't know shit about anything. I mean, yeah. We're in LA hanging around with all these heavy guys. Jeff ends up playing at Mick Fleetwood's wedding. I mean, you know, they handed us the keys to LA. When we hit LA, it was like everyone had heard about this guy, Jeff Healy, you know, and yet no one had ever seen him. So we're in a studio, so people are coming by. Um, 
he gets to jam with with uh, Stevie Wonder, who years before he thought was a pussy, and now he can't wait to <laughs> jam with you know Stevie Wonder. And and it's just that's how the business goes. Like one day you don't like this guy, and the next day you know you're on stage and you go, oh yeah. man, it's the best thing in in, in, so in life. Taking a quick step back, sure, when you are trying to get the record deal originally because a big part of your book was, was Jeff didn't really care about the sense of celebrity or there was a couple there was a story in there where there was a couple record label guys that were there and he just didn't care who they were was that ever part of the issue of trying to get signed is you know you take these meetings and, and did, did Jeff care who you know like no that was, that, that, that was never an issue at the beginning at the beginning it because we were all on the same page you were we, all trying to get yeah we wanted to you know we're hungry and we want to break out of these clubs yeah by the way I sometimes wonder if had we just stayed a great club band for 20 years and we'd probably make a decent living yeah and probably still would all be buddies because man once you're it's on Label, it's a yes, whole right. new, new ball game. Um, it's later. Okay. It's once we're on the labels where he's like, nah, I don't want to do that. Okay. Uh, I mean, we left Clive Davis for Christ's sake. Yeah. I mean, to, the, to this day, I'm still shaking my head. But it was Jeff's band, and I don't want to be clear in that. Yeah. And, and when I hear how uh, Tom Steven took advantage of Jeff Feely, pile of nonsense. No one took advantage of Jeff Healy. Mm-hmm. If Jeff wanted to do something, he, he did. did it. Yeah. If he didn't want to do it, he didn't do it. And the article at the beginning where he's driving the tour bus, yes, yeah. that, that's real. I mean, this guy, a blind guy, is driving. I'm sure someone said, Jeff, don't drive the bus, and he drove the damn <laughs> bus. That was uh, uh, analogous to a metaphor for how our band worked. Yeah. Jeff was the leader. Let's be clear about this. Yeah. Anything we discussed, it wasn't me running off and cutting deals. It was the three of us had to be on site. And if we weren't on site, particularly if Jeff wasn't on site, it didn't happen. It didn't happen, yeah. Did I think it was a good idea to, to leave uh, Rista Records? No. Did Jeff want to do it? Yes. Did we do it? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, in the back of my head, not something, you know, I thought... I mean, it was mixed emotions. It's because you're ebb and flow. Right. You're, you're at a low point there, and we're all kind of tired. And but then a few weeks later, it's like, where's my record deal? And we got lucky. We signed to uh, Atlantic Records. Yeah. Great story there. We signed to Ahmed Erdogan, who's the greatest legend, you know, up yeah. there with Clive, who founded all the you know, Led Zeppelin, the ACDC, uh, you, you name it. And uh, Balazoli, a Canadian, is running the label, so it's a no-brainer. We get on a label like that. Yeah. And at the time, the deal is they'll do a jazz record with Jeff as well. And they'll give us a couple of years to make our album. And so we finally figured out in my head, okay, we need the space. We got a label that's willing to give us some time. And it just doesn't happen. You know, a year goes by and we just can't get a record going. And uh, we still play, but we yeah. just can't get this record going. And uh, we're at Montreal Jazz Festival over in uh, Switzerland. And Mr. By then, I've gotten a phone call from Atlantic saying, pretty much the lawyer tells me, uh, you remember Rocky and Bullwinkle? I'm like, yeah. And he goes, uh, you know the guy sweeping up at the end of the... And I go, oh, fuck, this can't be good. I go, yeah. He goes, well, you guys are kind of behind him. You're off the label. <laughs> you know, that was it. Yeah. Gone. Well, now we're playing Montreal, and there's Armand Erdogan. And he'd never seen this play. He never yeah. saw Jeff ever play. I, I mean, he saw clips, but he's... Mm-hmm. So we do this show, and it was probably one of our better shows in our lives. It just, it's mantra, and the energy, going, yeah. and the audience is with you, man. We kick the crap out of it. Particularly, Jeff's just everywhere. Walk off stage, and there's this dapper older gentleman with his cane, two big models on the other side of him. I look, and I'm like, fuck, that's Ahmed Erdogan. 
And one horse, Mr. Erdogan, real pleasure. He goes, man, he goes, Tom, man, I, I really like you cats. That was really fucking cool. He goes, Jeff, something else. I can't wait to put the record out. And there's that pause. And I'm like, Mr. Erdogan, um, we're not on the label anymore. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, we've been dropped. Oh, he goes, well, meet me tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock for breakfast. And we were on the label by the time I met him for breakfast. Wow. It was that quick. Yeah. Record never, we never, we got dropped the second time because the record never got made, made but that's No, with him, okay. Yeah, but we gave so. it a shot anyway, so. But, so the answer is, yeah. Uh, could Jeff have been way bigger? Absolutely. But hindsight again, what I admire about Jeff, he marched to his, literally his, his, own, own, his yeah. own beat. And, and the reality is, as he got older, um, he was probably dealing with health issues I wasn't even aware of mm -hmm. that were probably a lot more, you know, than what he was saying. I think he made a decision. I, I, I always felt, Jeff, uh, one foot on the gravel when you listen to that, evil and here to stay. So yeah. uh, destiny-wise, I don't think Jeff ever felt he was going the distance. Because there was a point where, where Jeff, he wanted to, to, to do the jazz thing for a while. And stuff like that. Do you ever think he felt like he needed to get everything he wanted in while he still had time, or because maybe I, he was dealing with these health things that you guys didn't know about? Or well, I, I think Jeff always was a jazz cat at heart. Yes, I, yeah. I, I, I think Jeff, given given his brothers, would rather have been playing with uh, Satch, yes. playing trumpet right. in, in a big band jazz band. I mean that that was. I mean, when we were on a tour bus. Prime example, running to Slash. I can't remember. We're at some festival. Their bus is not too far from our bus. Slash wants to meet Jeff. Um, in those days, everyone's fucked up. And yeah. uh, uh, Slash comes on our bus. And what's playing is Bugs Bunny cartoons on the TV set. Yeah. And he's listening to, like, Jelly Roll Morton on the stereo. And Jeff's sitting there smoking a cigarette. Boop, 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 sitting at the table. Jeff, man, Slash would like to meet you. Yeah. You know, it, it, it wasn't <laughs> slash, like it wasn't yeah. an overwhelming reception. Me, yeah. like, holy fucking slash. Yeah. And but slash is flipped out because he, he's looking around, he's hearing this music, and it's like, yeah. what the fuck's going on? So they chat a little bit, and that's the end of it. We get off the bus, and uh, slash is, uh, well, here, man, come on, come over here. And we go on the bus to have a beer. You get in his bus, Led Zeppelin's screaming. There's strippers at the back. I don't know what's going on, but it's, you know, it's a whole different scene. Yeah. And, and that pretty much, in my mind, sums up our band versus the world we live in. Right. Jeff was a jazz cat in his heart. Yeah. And that's where his true passion was. Yeah. And I, my mistake, even though we did make some records, jazz records, uh, on our label, is the extent of his love, later you'll find interviews where Jeff's basically saying, I don't really care about the stuff I did with, with the Healy Band, you know, that wasn't real music to me. Real music to me is this. This is jazz, yeah. And then so when, when the band ends, that's when he goes off and he does. Mm -hmm. But now it's skip ahead a couple of years after the band ends. Next thing, he's back on the road playing our stuff. Right. But not wholeheartedly. He had a band around him. He wasn't doing all the singing. He was almost made himself a side man. And I'd be getting calls, people mad at me from around the world. I went to see your show. You guys weren't there. No one played Angel Eyes, and they are playing How yeah. Highway to Hell. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, yeah. I, I had no clue. I can't speak to what's in Jeff's mind, but I do know this. He was a family guy, and, and he, you know, loved his kids. And he had to make a living, I'm sure, for his mm -hmm. kids. Uh, I suspect the jazz thing I know did reasonably well here and there, but it wasn't the same livelihood right. as going back to the rock and roll. Right. 
given his druthers, I'm convinced he was a jazz cat. And to this day, people still remember his, his jazz show. And uh, I'm trying to think the station uh, slips me. But, I mean, there is no one who knew more about the subject than Jeff Healy. Mm-hmm. People missed him as much for the radio show. as A lot of people didn't even know he was in, in, in a Jeff Healy band. I mean, mm-hmm. Like the real jazz uh, aficionados. Right. So, yeah, I, I think Jeff that was two people. But his real comfort and love was definitely old school jazz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because there's, there's many points in the book that you even point out that, you know, you, you, met, you already kind of went over it with Slash, but you guys are playing with some of the most legendary rock and rollers, and, and Jeff's not even that impressed. <laughs> yeah, 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 I, I, not even. Yeah, not, not even. I mean, the Keith Richards and, yeah. and stuff like that. You know, the well, I, I, I wasn't when that story in the book. I, I, I didn't even know that because my deal with the co-writer was, you know, whatever he finds, if it's real and he researches it. Yeah, I didn't have a lot to say. Right, meaning, I mean, if there was something I thought was just really stupid or ridiculous or yes, unfair right. or whatever like that, but I didn't know that story. Yeah, I mean, I knew, I knew the result of the story, mm-hmm. but I, but I didn't know the. The, the the details of Jeff actually, you know, I won't give it away here, but no, but, yeah, but, but, but actually going there and they had that interaction. Um, probably that was the saddest night of my life, to be candid with you. I mean, yeah. you know, we had a shot at being on a stone store. Uh, you know, in, in retrospect, maybe that that was that was you know the end mm-hmm. because Jeff really when I said hey man we got the Stones to- uh, show we're going to play this couple shows and whatnot and he's like well I'm doing my laundry that day <laughs> you know this kind of thing <laughs> you know right. but, but after that oddly enough um, we're, we're shooting the breeze one day and he goes you know I finally get what you mean about the Rolling Stones? Because my whole thing was, look, Jeff, I, I don't know why you don't get him. Well, I, I don't think that guy's a great singer or this and that. And then all of a sudden, and this shocked me, and this is what was great about Jeff. Um, I, I have no idea where it came from, but all of a sudden he's talking to me about the Stones. Now, we we clearly blowing it. I mean, you know, that, that ship sailed. And he's going, you know, because I used to say to him, look, forget about musicianship. But these guys were fucking satisfaction. And, yeah. And, you know, I mean, the, 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 like a band's many parts and they have their own vibe. And, you know, left to their own devices, Jagger couldn't sell a bunch of records on mm-hmm. his own. I mean, that unit is what is what, what, yeah. what made it work. And to his credit, one day out of nowhere, he goes, you know, I really kind of like those guys. <laughs> and I'm thinking, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you yeah. say that. Yeah. You know, and, and that would happen a lot with Jeff where he things and then not like them and I'm the same way you know mm-hmm. but one of the things that going back to this guy uh, I, I met uh, Jimmy Iovine when we were in LA back to the management thing he goes look Tom you're an okay drunk okay he said but you're a scrappy hustler you're a great manager yeah. and he said I can go within a mile of this studio and find a hundred guys that are blow you off the stage he said, but I can't find one guy with your drive. He said, why don't you come in? I'm starting this company called Interscope Records. And I go, uh-huh. And I go, we already have a record deal. So I'm not, I'm not making the connection. Again, this is told by the, the roadie um, um, in the book who turns out he ends up being Jimmy Iovine's right-hand guy yeah. in this Interscope record, Chuck Reed. Uh, I'm making the documentary right now with Chuck's brother. Um, and... Uh, Jimmy goes, look, we're starting this label, and it's going to be based on rap. And I'm looking at him like, no one's buying that. Yeah. He goes, what do you, what do you mean? Now, rap to me from being in university was 
when you had exams, people you don't even like talking to, all of a sudden you're talking to them. When Instead of studying, you smoke a joint, drinking a couple of beers, and you shoot the shit all night. We yeah. call that rapping. So I'm thinking that's what he's talking about. I have yeah. included in that it's urban music. And I go, Jimmy, no one's going to give a shit about that. Like, how, how do you sell a bunch of guys rapping? Still not being on the same page. Yeah. And, and Chuck Reed tells that story in the book, which I had forgotten about. Yeah. The, the writer finds, the co-writer finds this. And... I don't know if that was the dumbest day of my life because all those guys are billionaires. But my, my thinking back at the time was my loyalty was to the band. We worked our ass to get this far. And the truth is I went and got to write a book because who cares if you're an executive in, 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 a, in you know, Interscope. Right. But having said that, he's in one of the most successful documentaries now. But But... I don't regret the decision because we did what we wanted, we to, wanted do. to do, and, and, and I really want to be a rock and roll dude. Yeah. You know? So that's that. So you guys, sorry, you guys I'm sorry I'm all over that. the map today. It was a late night. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's fantastic. Um, I'm, I'm sorting through my notes here because we've gone from one point <laughs> to the other, and I'm, so I'm trying to lose or see which we've covered and which would, which I still want to cover. Um, so you mentioned it earlier. So you passed you passed on the, the you didn't do the Rolling Stones gig, but Probably one of the most famous. You've mentioned it already. One of the most famous Jeff Healy gigs was was the Roadhouse movie. Yeah. So how did that? How did how did that ever come about? Was this something that was brought to you, you guys? And serendipity. Truthfully, I mean, if there's yeah. ever a case, was the movie written like we want Jeff Healy band in this movie? Not not Jeff Healy band, but it turns out the lady and the guy who wrote the script. Uh, you know, I really should study notes before I come to these. They had seen Jeff in the band at, I think, Albert's Hall here in Toronto. Yeah. So they write into the script this this trio led by a blind, an amazing blind guitar guy who plays on his lap. Yeah. Clive Davis phones me up, literally, and he goes, I have this script, Tom, and I'd like you to read it. And don't make a decision, and don't talk to the boys. Just read the script. And uh, so I, I read the script, and I see this part, and I'm like, well, fuck, that's us. Yeah. There's no other trio on the right. planet I can think of. You know, Now, mind you, I hadn't been around the planet enough, but I'd certainly, you know, your, your ears to the ground and never heard of anyone. And I phone up Clavicle, that's got to be us. Well, that's what I think, but now you're going to go and meet this guy, Joe Silver, who's a big-time producer. He did Die Hard and all the great movies. Yeah. Yeah. Recently, the Sherlock Holmes things and whatnot. And uh, I don't know shit about that, but I'm like, Clive said, you'll be fine. He said, you got through me, so this should be no problem. Yeah. So I'm t- tell the boys, I'm going down to L.A. to meet this guy, Joe Silver. It's scary, man. It's just like the just like the movies. You're yelling and screaming. You feel like you're walking into the dragon's nest. I saw a girl crying. I'm like, man. Anyway, what do you want? So I play the video. He goes, oh, Clive Davis. Yeah. He goes, well, can the guy act? Like, can you remember lines and stuff? I go, well, if he hears your voice today and then you run into him five years from now, he'll remember who you are. Yeah. So, yeah, no problem. Now, you think Jeff might have told me. I didn't know this till later. In fact, almost while we were researching the book, Jeff had acted before. I had no clue. Really? Nothing major, but he'd done yeah. a couple things here or there and had to mention that to me. I mean, that's yeah. how Jeff was. You think that'd be yeah. something. Oh, yeah, by did. the way. By the way. <laughs> you know? So he says, well... When he looks at the video, I can tell he's impressed. Same old video, because yeah. we hadn't shot it. We hadn't shot our new ones by by that point. We're yeah. just in the midst of doing all that. And uh, you know, Al Resnick, if you're out there, thank you, because that, that that video took us a long way. And off he goes. He says, "Bring Jeff down." So we go down, and 
Jeff meets him, and he says something along the lines of, uh, Jeff, you know, I've made up my mind if, if I'm going to put you in the movie or not. And Jeff said, well, that's it. That's funny because I haven't made up my mind if I want to be in the movie. Yeah. <laughs> that's how Jeff was. Yeah. You know, no one else would have said that. I mean, I certainly would never, I don't think most people would. You're in Hollywood, biggest producer who's been sent, you know, you've been sent there by the biggest record company guy. And Jeff's like, I don't know if I wanted to do it. Yeah. But we got seduced. You know, you get into the Hollywood course, thing. And, yeah. and next thing it's like, okay, we'll do this movie. But Clive warned us, he said, you, and Mitchell Cohen, he said, look, when you're there, it's going to be 24-7. You're going to be making your debut right. album. You're probably going to end up doing most of the soundtrack because once Jimmy hears you, we've got a feeling we're going to get the soundtrack. And you're going to be on this set. And he wasn't lying, man. We worked, you know, yeah. like the Beatles song, eight days a week, yeah. you know, 20, 30, 40 hours a day. Um, the movie thing, exciting as hell. And a week later, you're like, fuck. <laughs> How do we get out of here, man? Yeah. And it only got to be funny when we figured out the fake beer thing. And we gave some money. Patrick Swayze became a pal of, of the band. And he really liked Jeff a lot. And they, they, they really got along well. And a wrestler called. You could tell they had a chemistry in, oh, the, man. in the movie, even. you know, like they, What happens is, we, Jeff had like five lines. And the band was barely yeah. to be seen. But we jam every day at lunchtime because we're getting bored. So we take all, you know, fake symbols and put the real shit. And every day we knock out three or four songs. So it'd be like a, people would come at lunch and it'd be like a little concert. Then it turns out the guy from, I think, Band X, the big L.A. band, he's on the set. We didn't even know he's a musician. Yeah. There's a guy to play with Elvis. Uh, the old guy, Red, he, he played with Elvis Presley. Yeah. It turns out, I mean, half the place is musicians. Musicians. And so this jam sort of happens a little bit. And... Joel starts kind of going, yeah, next thing we're in more shots. So I'm talking to Swayze one day, and I said, you know, any chance of getting Jeff some more lines? Because they had a couple lines, and I could tell Swayze was digging it. Yeah, yeah. And, and to this day, I'm sure Swayze had a lot to do with of course, getting yeah, yeah. Jeff there, because he'd become a bit of a drinking friend and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, that's, that's how that happened. And that, to its credit... Even though we didn't understand why we were making a movie, and none of us want to be in a movie ever since. Yeah. I mean, we got a lot of offers, Jeff particularly, but yeah. outside the fact, once we figured out you could put real beer in the fake beer, that was about the only good fun on <laughs> And losing all your money at cards, because you'd be there at six in the morning and you right. sit around at three or four. Yeah. By the time you do your shot, you're back in the van driving from Ventura. Back into Hollywood, right into the studio, and we're working on two albums. We're doing the soundtrack, right. we're doing our own album. But there's a song on the first album called Nice Problem to Have. Yeah. And, and we couldn't think of what the name of the track should be on. I'm not even on the track, there's no drums on the track. Yeah, yeah. And I looked at the boys and said, Well, boys, all I know, this is a nice problem to have. Yeah. You know, of course. You know, yeah, we yeah. couldn't get arrested a year ago. Now we're now making a movie, you, we're a debut record. And, all we can know. do is work now. Yeah. And it was, and it was great. It and, was, and, and we were not lazy guys. I mean, right. We, we worked, the parties had to be fitted in. We were, we were about 24 7 work. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong, we had a hell of a good time. But all of us, as crazy as things would get, Never lost sight of what the what the mission was mm -hmm. and what the target was. It was Swayze. Was he like a rock and roll guy? Was he great guy? Yeah. Was he um, was was he a musician at all? Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He he. I I got off on the wrong side with him because I didn't realize who he was and and. and Again, the stories get fuzzy. Uh, Panagio was telling me one day that you know I, we had words me and me and Swayze at the beginning because he yeah. didn't know who we were and he was a little buzzed and what the fuck are you guys doing? This is my movie kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But once 
there was even talk at one point because he played a decent guitar and he sang okay with him and Jeff doing a single. Yeah. For for whatever reason that that never happened. Yeah. Um, we did end up playing with a girl. I can't think of her name now. That I think they were grooming, and I think we ended up doing a track uh, cover of Knock on Wood with her. But other than that, Jeff, uh, Swayze was a guy. I was drinking with him one day in a club, and he and he basically was. It was like a watch this kind of thing. Yeah. And he reached over my shoulder because he smoked like crazy. Okay. Reached over my shoulder and puts out a cigarette. And two girls fight over a cigarette butt that he had just put out. And that's when I realized, whoa, this is fucked up. Yeah. <laughs> like this this is how's this guy? No wonder you gotta be out of your mind. Yeah. He liked the party. Now later on he cleaned his act up and the weird part is they both died within a year of each other. I was just like they yeah. yeah. yeah almost in their day. Similar, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and uh, unbelievable. But but Patrick definitely was very very good to us. Yeah. As as was uh, Sam Elliott was a nice guy. Yeah, uh, all those guys. It's great to see Sam Elliott on the on the June or on the, yeah, on the, the uh, Oscars. Oscars the other night. Yeah, yeah. Have you seen Have you seen the movie? It's no, I haven't. I, I'm saving I'm saving it. I'm saving it because I, I want to watch it when it, you know I have time to really absorb it. It's yeah. fantastic. I've seen it twice. It's, oh, great. Yeah, it's fantastic. Great. And I you mean, love the music. The soundtrack's incredible. Oh, what, is, yeah. what I saw in the, uh, uh, the Oscars, the performance. That, that yeah. performance was fucking over the top. Man. Yeah. Man, man the chemistry, sing. too, between Ooh. the two of them. Well, I'm reading like, now, I guess they're an item, you know, Hollywood sell turning it of up. Of course, but, but yeah. But, but I, I'm so happy for a girl like her because... I'm not a pop guy, but right. I always knew she could sing. Yeah, you know, she's, she's an incredible she's musician. Really, yeah, really incredible great. talent. Yeah. yeah, yeah, really. And I mean, you, you when you watch the movie, you'll see she can do the rock and roll songs as good as she can do the the pop songs. Great. Yeah, great. Yeah. Oh, I'm excited for you to see it. Um, I interrupted you at one point. You said on oh, the set right. there was a I'm talking there was a wrestler. Oh, Terry that, Funk. Terry, oh, Terry Funk was on the. Mm-hmm. He was he in Roadhouse. Yeah, he's he's one of the way. One of Mick Foley's buddies, uh, Terry Foley. Yeah, is that right? Uh, well, yeah, yeah. Well, he was he was known for being the like the hardcore guy who liked getting hurt, pretty much. Oh, great story. The guy who co-wrote the book with me, Keith, is a, a, a wrestling aficionado. He's written a bunch of articles. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's a big time producer now over at NBC TV. So, toward. We've been talking about the book for years, but uh, there's trust issues too. You don't want to just go and write it because like, you know what everyone thinks. I love Jeff, and, mm-hmm. and and I still have a lot of time for Joe if we ever get around to talking to each other yeah. sometime in the future. But I mean, you don't spend 15, 16 years and build this thing together and not have a lot of you know. Of course. I mean, look, there's some anger issues and there's things that I think about, and I'm sure they you know just as soon kick me in the head some days too. But that's life. But. The, the the thing with this guy Keith when I when we finally get around to going okay let's do this book we banged away at this for a couple of years yeah and it wasn't until a friend of mine offered us a place down in Jamaica where I've been going since I was a kid and she literally locked us into to, to this little resort thing she had and she wouldn't let us drink she wouldn't let us out of the place yeah and the whole thing came together just like that I don't know Keith's a big wrestling guy okay so author Keith yeah, the okay. co-author, and and now he's producer over at NBC. Yeah. So now he's gone up in the world. He's doing like he just did the Golden State Killer for NBC. He did Trump for NBC. I mean, he's wow. so I'm thinking he's okay. way too busy for you know our little book about Jeff Healy. Yeah. But he loved it. 
But then he starts telling me about Terry Funk. And he, he was more impressed with Terry Funk than, than anything else. Yeah. And he explains, you know, the chic and the wrestling history yeah, yeah. And, and all this yeah, thing. Yeah, I've always been a big wrestling guy too, so, yeah. He loves it. Uh, yeah. uh, the guy in Tri- Triumph, uh, Mike, uh, well, what the hell is wrong with me? Sorry, Mike, give me a sec. Mike Levine. Okay. He took me to my first wrestling uh, show, and I'm like, what are we doing here? Man? Yeah. And he goes, Tom, it's rock and roll. It is. And yeah, sure enough, it. the things are blasting off. And if you ever listen to an interview with those guys, they say it's the doing that is the closest thing they'll ever be to a rock star. They're like, it's the closest an athlete will ever be to being a rock star. From what I saw, yeah. I, I, it's, I, just I, all, it's the pageantry. And yeah. It's a blast. Yeah. And, and so Terry Funk is okay, big, Terry Funk, yeah. This big, tough guy. And uh, he's sleeping on Jeff's. They've been out drinking. And Terry Funk's like for the does He's not like this Adonis of a wrestler. He's like this gritty. Oh, he's a dude. He's like he's yeah, a rough truck driving. Yes. kick ass bikerish. Yeah, tough guy, but sweet. You know, you okay. don't know that yeah. when you see the guy. Like you're holy fuck. Got a rough exterior. Get, yeah. yeah. So he's out drinking and he's sleeping on Jeff's couch for some reason, and his wife's looking for him, and. Uh, Terry's wife. Yeah. Okay. And so the phone rings and Jeff's pick it up and Terry's hung over and he's laying on the couch. He goes, Jeff, just tell him uh, I'm not here, please. <laughs> he's terrified, right? Yeah, he's yeah. a big wrestler, dude. And you realize, man, everyone answers to somebody. Say that's it. <laughs> yeah. Wow. That's funny. Yeah. That's funny. Uh, how did you get connected with Keith, the author, the co-author? God, I hate to even even think is the guy who hooked me up still owes me rent but anyway <laughs> um, um, he uh, he's this this gentleman I'm talking about Canadian guy he's in New York and somewhere he I mentioned to him somewhere along the line I'd like to write a book and somehow to his credit I mean he never paid the rent but that's okay I, I got to meet Keith yeah um, if you're out there buddy I'm, I got over it no big deal <laughs> he uh, he he uh, Says to me, I met this guy who's a writer and works at, and uh, he's kind of interested. And if you're ever in New York, he'd like to, you know, go have a beer. So I'm in New York literally a few weeks later, and we go out and hang out, and we end up getting hammered. And uh, he starts telling me all these true crime stories because this guy's a, a, a crime investigator, yeah, for, yeah. For, and, uh, fascinating guy, uh, Brooklyn guy, but just a sweetheart of a guy. Like, you know, immediately. I just felt a bond. In fact, we become if even if we didn't put the book out, we'd be friends. We are friends for life. Just again, again, a great new friend as well. And he's kind of like, you know, how do you want to come at this? And we spent a year just drinking, yeah. you know, trying to just feel each other out and get the vibe. And then the next year, sort of some outlines. And then we're literally into year three, and that's when my friend in Jamaica goes, you're never going to write this book. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, get off your butt and get on it. And uh, giving us that opportunity to go and, you know, because... It's funny on. that someone in Jamaica's telling you you're never going to get off your butt. <laughs> well, well, they know me down there. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> you know, like, cause you when, I go, in, when I go to Jamaica, it's pure fun and games. Of course, and, you know, right. Because I work hard otherwise, and yeah. it's always been my outlet. But in, in, in doing that, plus he loved Jamaica. And Jamaica to me is, that's my heart and soul. Yeah. And I've taken friends there and they either get it or they don't. There's, right. not, there's not any in between because yeah. it's rough and ready. It's a wild west in some places. But it's also some of the greatest people in the world. The mm-hmm. music's outrageously amazing. Yeah. The colors in the air and the, it's just stunning. And I drive my motorcycle there and it's just a great time. 
I was thinking the first two times we went down there, all we ended up doing was you know getting buzzed and yeah. hanging out, and listening to reggae. And but when she said you can do this here in Jamaica, I'm like, I don't think we can because there's no work ethic here. Yeah, it's different making phone calls and taking care of other people. Yeah, but I couldn't take care of myself to do what we needed to do. Yeah, and uh, when she locked us in there. We're, we're kind of grumpy because we want to go here and go yeah. there. But you know what? All of a sudden, we're getting out of bed at 6 in the morning and banging it through till you know, 2 in the morning. And we did a solid week like that. And all of a sudden, we finally have what, what could be a book. Right. And, and sent it out to a couple people in the know. And they came back with comments. And she brought us back again. And we did the rewrite. And that's when we knew, yeah, there's a book here. So where you said a lot of it... A lot of the stories too were things that Keith had found and stuff like that. Where was he finding his, his you know, stories? I, and I, 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 I can't even. I mean, obviously, I gave him a list of people that I thought would be, you know, people he should reach out to because he wasn't comfortable. Like I can't tell him so and so said this because right. it had to be accurate or as accurate as it could be. Could, yeah. And, and candidly, you know, my motive was very simple too. I wanted it to be as honest and truthful. Mm-hmm. So if someone turns around, I, I think at the beginning of the book, I say, look, this is the best, it's, you know, through the haze of time and rock and roll and, you know, parties and what, what else. This is kind of how. But Keith was a grown-up. You know, he was the guy that went out, and this is what he does. I mean, this is why he's an NBC producer, because yeah. he's, he knows how that's all. Like stories he was finding. I had either forgot about or yeah. didn't know about. Didn't know I mean, about. you know, and, and that's and why, you were there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's a little scary. I mean, I've yeah. kind of I've cut way back on my drinking over the years. Yeah, so, yeah. But, but but that was rock and roll. I, I, I think so. And even though back to the slash story, we weren't those guys. At the same time, you know, a lot of people to this day say, "Man, you guys went hard." So, and in retrospect, you look and you go. How the hell are Led Zeppelin those guys still alive? Keith I mean, Richards. a couple of the men are Keith Richards. Keith Richards, Ozzy, you know, like how, how they even walking, let alone yeah. you know, still performing. Because we're just really a little, keeping them alive at this point. Is well, money helps too, and but yeah. but we're just a little band. You know, our fame compared to those guys, we're, you know, we're, yeah. we're we're a pimple on an elephant's butt. Yeah. But as hard as we went, imagine those guys. Yeah. Because there's the word that you look for all those years to get record deal is yes. Yeah. You go through a million no's. Right. Okay? But now you get the deal. And it's all yes. It's all yes. You know? There was, uh, I yeah. was listening to a, there was a comedian did a, as I was listening to a stand-up special, he wrote on SNL, and Mick Jagger was on SNL this one time. And he said Mick Jagger could just be like, stick out his hand and say, I want a Pepsi, and it... <laughs> it was in his hand. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. And can you imagine, like, well, you can have anything, you you know, and that's... Well, yeah. But that's not always... I mean, clearly for those guys, they live in that world. That's what I mean. You know, and, and hanging out, like, even the guys last night, seeing, seeing Bowie's band and Saxton and all these great players in that stage, one of the best shows I've seen in my life. Yeah. And musicianship. Hanging out with them after, these guys are sad. Yeah. And they're jumping around that stage, man, and I'm like... I can barely, you know, get my motorcycle right now. These yeah. guys are just kicking it. But you realize that's been their life forever. Yeah. Like, yeah. I didn't even get in a rock and roll band until I was 26. These guys have yeah. been doing this since they're 12, yeah. 13, 14. And, and 
I don't think we were the quintessential cool cat rock star types. Yeah, yeah. You know, Je- Jeff sort of took it as it came. Um, we don't look the part per se, um, um, but it worked. Yeah. But having said that, you get some bad habits. Yeah. You know, there's no question. Of course. Because yeah. you're spoiled. Yeah. And people spoiled it. To this day, I admit, I, I still expect things, and I haven't been around that scene in 20 years, but you still kind of. You know, I, I have interesting habits that I've never quite sorted because you're just, you know, I spent 15, 20 years that way. Um, some good habits, some bad. But but at the same time, my buddies to this day are like, you might be a has-been, but at least, you know, you weren't and never you're, was. Right. You know, it's and, very good. And, and I use that line because a guy got in my case a couple of years ago at South by Southwest. You're just a fucking has-been. What it was, he pissed off. I met someone that he kind of liked, and we got along. And and I, you know, I'd had a couple beers, and I said, you know what? As arrogant as this sounds, at least I was a has been. Yeah, yeah. You know, fuck you. Yeah. And and in hindsight, I regret saying that because I, I think it's important that, like, I don't walk around if I walk in a room and go, I used to be. Yeah, right. Because either they don't know who the fuck you're talking about, which is going to be embarrassing. Yeah. Or so what? You yeah. know, that's back then and yet people are saying well here's Steven back at it you know trying to you know prolong fame or mm. prolong this or prolong that guilty as charged to a certain yeah. degree because yeah. I definitely am trying to well, re- why wouldn't you be <laughs> trying to reintroduce you know yeah. what I think in Canadian history is, is, is one of the chapters I mean what people forget and I was reminded in another interview the other day the guy explained to me back in the 80s what you guys were like the hottest ticket out of Canada yeah. well, why you know in those days, you have Rush out there. I was going to say, even and sometimes you go to places and people people haven't even heard of Rush. You know, and it's like it's only the greatest drummer of all time, like the greatest drummer of the all old, time. Like, who's that? How do you not know that? Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, what thirty two albums in, and, and you know, yeah. so so it's a fickle business. Yeah. You know, and, and one of the best bits of advice we got from Tony Tobias was, don't do your first tour in America. Go to Europe. Get your base in Europe and Japan and Australia. Mm-hmm. Because when the Americans have forgot about you, they have yeah. you'll still be touring in Europe. Mm-hmm. And, and that was prophet- prophetic because that's exactly what, what occurred. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Europeans just seem deeper into their roots. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I don't know. I mean, you get, get a tyranny yeah. eye thinking about it. But, but there is so much good. But one of the things, and I hadn't realized this until recently as well, B and Jeff, I remember we're driving with Joe in the old days. We were jammed into Joe's Volvo. We're going up some mountain and down a mountain. And I'm I'm the little guy, so I'm stuffed in the back. And I heard Joe say something to Jeff, something about, isn't this great? Isn't this beautiful? And there's a pause, and I'm thinking, oh, fuck. And about a second, five seconds, and then I hear Jeff go, Joe, how the fuck would I know? All I know yeah. is we go up, we go down. Yeah. We go up, we go down. That was funny, except when you think about it. And again, recently, having spoke to some of his friends and then I've read the book, I didn't realize he was getting bored. Mm-hmm. Now you're over in Europe, and back in the 80s, the food sucked. There's a lot of places, I mean, hell, we couldn't speak the language. We didn't know what's on the menu. Yeah. But we could see. So we're like, fuck, who cares? You know, girls are good looking, and they're yeah. playing in this great room, and you get to go to the Louvre and see the museum. And Jeff's sitting in his room listening to old school jazz. Mm-hmm. The flip side of Jeff, though, was he really wanted to go out. So I get a call at 3 o'clock in the morning in Paris. No cell phones back then. Yeah. And it's like, 
Monsieur Jeff Healy wants you to come and play. Three o'clock in the morning. Click. Yeah. What, what the fuck? So we get out yeah. of bed, go down to the desk. My friend sucks. They don't really want to talk to you in English, even though sometimes they yeah. can. I get a cab guy and I'm explaining the stick and you know the hair and he's like, uh, and he drives me through this quarter and we're driving up and down the streets and then you hear, wah, 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 and I knew Jeff's sound. And like there's yeah. only one guy that sounded like Jeff went, there, take me over there. So we go over and you know, this is Jeff Shimmery. I walk in the club, they're playing. I point at the drummer, I point at me, I have my sticks. And uh, the guy kind of, and I'm going, and I started walking over because it's three in the morning, I'm pissed off, I've been woken up. Right. I'm, I'm damn well playing the drums. And he gets up, and I'm starting a hi hat, and he moves, and now I start slamming him, and Jeff turns around and smiles. He knew right away. Yeah. You know, I'm back there. And after the gig, I go, man, it's three o'clock in the morning. He goes, Tom, as much as you suck, this guy's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so fucking get up there and play. Yeah. And, and so on one hand, it's boring. And on the other hand, wherever we play, we could play in front of 100,000 people, 50,000 yeah. people on these big outdoor concerts. But that night, you would find us in some dumpy club yeah. jamming. And that was what I loved about being in our band. We all love the music enough that we wanted we, to we go and jam every night yeah. and play with whoever we could. And Because and, you live and you learn. And, and mm-hmm. you know, and there's the aspect that you like to meet some girls or have a good right, time. Right. And, 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 you know, because a lot of the road, what you realize, why people get into drugs and maybe aren't, you know, uh, uh, honest in their relationship with the wife or girlfriend back mm-hmm. home or whatever, is there's a lot of boredom out there. And there's a lot of loneliness yeah. and there's a lot yeah. of, you know, you're sick of each other. And, and so the so-called groupie thing, they're not groupies. Those are great people who, you know, I met so-called groupies who knew way more about music than I'll ever know. Yeah. And, and who could show me things in, in foreign countries that I wouldn't even think about. Yeah. And, and so... Jeff got to experience that to a certain degree, um, but at the same time, I think it could be kind of boring. Yeah. And the joke in the band was, if, if McDonald's hadn't expanded to Europe, I'm not sure we would have. Yeah. You know. Yeah. You know, so it was kind of we followed the big the, the golden the, the arches. The golden arches. Yeah. That's it. What did because you you mentioned that you, you know you came from this family, your parents uh, you know had ran the family business and stuff. What did they think of you being a, a musician and? Well, I... Well, when you told them that I'm going to play the drums now, you know, like, what, what did they... It, 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 firstly, I think my upbringing, in hindsight, was perfect for rock and roll. Okay. Because it was a dysfunctional family. Um, my parents got divorced, but one of the big arguments in my family was we had one stereo, and every Sunday, my dad would be playing Dean Martin. Yeah. And then you'd hear scratch, and then my mom would put on opera or classical. Yeah. And then half hour go by scratch, and then there'd be Frank Sinatra. Yeah. You know, and then scratch. Well, now eventually what comes into it is now I'm putting on Jimi Hendrix. Yeah. Right? And then there'd be two scratches because they agreed they didn't like that. Didn't like that. Yeah. Yeah. So they kind of came together over that. Um, My dad was in construction. Hard nose business, right? Yeah. Asphalt. My grandfather started in 1920, yeah. 1925. Literally came over, the streets are paved in gold, of course there's shit manure, and, and he buys an old asphalt plant in the states of Maine and starts paving, and that becomes, you know, the, their beachhead for that, for the Lebanese side of, of my heritage. Um, 
I'm sorry, I'm wandering here. Oh, so in being in that business, you know, I saw mayors bribed and counselors bribed, and it's a just hard kind of business. I thought we were rich till I moved to Toronto and realized we were lucky for, you know, we were upper poor or lower yeah, middle yeah. class, you know, but, but in that community, it seemed like we were doing pretty good. And I didn't really, you know, my parents, there was a lot of alcoholism in the family, but we always sat around the dinner table and discussed world affairs. And I always, you know, my mom made me read Time magazine. And so, you know, you're informed. And education yeah. in that community is very, very important. And yet, my dad was a wild man. Um, in the book, there's a couple stories. My favorite one is he was so well-known around town that we had this little beagle called Christy. And this is kind of where, you know, I get a lot of my craziness is when my dad got drunk, he was short like me, and he'd drive around in, in this big Buick, and uh, he'd have the dog on, on his lap, and the dog would be, the paws behind <laughs> And he'd go to this place called Randy's, and they'd let him in with the dog, and the dog would sit at the table and eat with my dad, and dad get drunk, and then he'd come back in the car, and we had a wood garage store, and we're worried. We hadn't seen him in like a day and a half. Like, where'd he go? Yeah. He comes up one day, and you see the car coming, and it hits the driveway. It doesn't slow down. Wood door, bam, right through, right through the door. Knocks over the garbage cans. I run out, there's smoke coming out. And all I hear the dog's name being Christy is I hear, Jesus Christ, Christy, I thought you said you could drive this goddamn <laughs> car. <laughs> you know? If that's not trading for rock and roll, right, I, 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 I give up. I mean, it, it was that way. And yet, they were very serious people. My dad was a lawyer, and my mom was very bright. And so when I, you know, just graduated... It was like a little bit of both. Yeah. 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 So when I graduated and I had my master's, and I'm like, well, I'm not... You know, I had a job, and I I, I just quit my job, and then started a band. Yeah. And they're like, what are you talking about? Yeah. Because they, they never knew me to want to be in a band. So I met this guy, Jeff Feely. I phoned my mother. I'm drunk at 3 in the morning. And I apparently, she tells me later, I'm telling her this whole story. I met this guy, and we're going to go to Japan, and we're going to go to Paris, and we're going to, like, I knew that. Yeah. And she was supportive, because she was kind of like, well, if that's what you want to do, you know, go for it. At least you have your degree. If you screw it up, yeah, and then you, you can always come, come back, back and, yeah. and, and whatever. My dad was a little more, uh-uh, you're out of your mind, like, you know, all this time and energy and effort and... And he had lost his business uh, yeah. in, in uh, 81, 82, got screwed by a bank. But he didn't get it till they saw our picture with the queen. Right. When we met the queen. Yeah. And the second thing, I, I got stuck in L.A. at Christmas. We were finishing a video. And the boys wanted to go home, and I, I, that was sort of my department. So I really didn't want to be there, but I'm stuck in L.A. at the Beverly Hills Hotel. Had to buy a suit to go to this lunch thing. And I'm going to the washroom, and there's Dean Martin sitting there. And I'm like, holy fuck, Dean Martin, he's an older man at the time. Yeah. And so I walk by, and I sit at the table, and, and the people go, Tom, I saw you looking, that's Dean Martin, but whatever you do, don't talk to him. Just, you know, this is a Beverly Hills hotel. Now, by that time, we met a lot of rock stars and whatnot. And, yeah. you know, I survived it. It wasn't that big a deal. But Dean Martin, I'm thinking, if I go home, Tell my dad I saw Dean Martin yeah. and didn't talk to him or get an autograph, he'll be pissed. So I kept going to watch him. Finally, Mr. Martin looks at me and goes, Son, why don't you just sit down and have a drink? He's sitting there by himself on Christmas Day. Yeah. And, you know, the typical, my dad loves you, and he signed a napkin. That meant more to my father than the, the pictures with the Beatles and the Rolling Stones. Yeah. And that was, you know, that was the thing. 
what Jeff gave me, and to this day I'll, I'll never forget it, by being in that band and making some money, I was able to sue the bank that screwed my dad. Really? And took his dignity and took his company and took our family heritage away, and I kicked their butts. And I uh, gave my dad enough money that he got to live the rest of his life. And not, I mean, it wasn't the same as having his business, but he had his dignity. Yeah. And, and, and he was able to at least know, you know, that. that. That's a fantastic yeah. story. Oh, to, to this day, that's probably one of the better things that happened to me in my wow. life. Yeah. So wow. that opportunity, had I not met Jeff, being an urban planner, that might have taken me 50 years, so that, you know, instead of two or three years. So, and we beat them. And, uh, wow. And uh, so I feel good about that. And he felt good that he, at least he saw that there was something coming back out of yeah. what I was doing. Oh, dear, dear. Yeah. But it took a while. Of course. Yeah. But I yeah. think D. Martin put it over the top. Yeah. Wow. My mom got a day one. You know, that's a great story kind of too to bring this full circle. Yeah. Full circle. So let's, I, I've kept you longer than I was supposed to. Oh, but um, Maybe do we want to wrap it on, do you have a story you like to wrap on or anything that... Uh, well, 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 maybe let's wrap sorry. it on something fun, or you know, do you have a? a well, 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 well I, I, I don't know about fun, but I think what people got to know about Jeff is is whether he was a genius or not can be argued. But I can tell you this: he was a fucking genius because no one played a guitar like that, mm-hmm. and he was way underrated in my book. I, you know, I saw him play with the greatest guys, and I won't say names, but some of the so-called greatest guys. They weren't. They blew them off the stage. Yeah. And and I, I think as Canadians, we got to remember this guy, and we got to remember the Harris. And I'm going to throw the band in there too, because it took a team to, to get the thing going. I can't tell you if Jeff would have made it or not on his own. Maybe he would have. Maybe he wouldn't have. All I know is, in the end, we were the guys that did it. Like any rock and roll story, it ends a little tragically. But at the same time, when I think about it. The thing I remember the most is the laughing. Mm-hmm. We laughed our asses around the world a bunch of times, and there was a lot of humor and a lot of gags and a lot of, like, Jeff would cheat at cards, you know, shit like that. Yeah. I remember the Much Music Train. Uh, one of the guys from Mike and Mike's Great Adventure, uh, uh, Mike uh, was just telling me, and I forgot about this, Much Music had a train, and we went across the whole country with all the great Canadian bands and some American guests. And we're jamming. Imagine going through the Rockies and the doors open in a freight car and you're jamming as you're going through the Rockies. It's just a magical moment. Meanwhile, though, at nighttime, Jeff's taking out one's money playing cards. And they realize he's playing with the braille deck and he's got folds on the fucking cards, right? <laughs> so, so what they did is they had like a little GoPro that they call them now, but back then they were just a small little camera. Yeah. And they rigged that up behind Jeff so they're reading his cards, right? <laughs> so, yeah. so now they started getting their money back, back right? Yeah. So, but Jeff knew he was cheating and that was part of the fun. But yeah. The other thing was... Uh, there's this duck machine where the ducks fly across the duck street. Bingo. Yeah. And he kill us at this thing. So I'm going, being a hustler, I'm going, oh, go Jeff, man, we should, you know, take on some of these other, because you're sitting in the bus, this band would come on and we challenge them. A blind guy, yeah, fuck, I can be a blind guy at this duck, duck hunt. Yeah. And, and, and he'd kill them every time. And what it was, he counted. So he knew where the cracks were, and it was pretty much. It's not like the games now where they switch it up or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like it was on a, a though. There's changes, but he knew that series, and he just 
nail it. Yeah. So those are things like he'd laugh his ass off. That's how I remember Jeff. Yeah. On, on, so that was the, the, the nice side little thing. Amazing. Well, Tom, yeah. thank you. Thank you so much for My taking pleasure, the time. Man. Thank you so yeah, much. Sorry absolutely. for talking so much. No, that's yeah. the whole point. That's the whole point. <laughs> well, there you I'm go. glad to have you. Thank yeah. you. Adamantium.